Welcome to Breaking Free. I'm Rania Kurdi, a transformational life coach, comedian, and mother of two. And you can join me weekly to hear some intimate self-reflections and conversations with inspirational friends and guests from all around the world, sharing what they needed to break free from in order to live a life of purpose. This week's episode of Breaking Free is with my beautiful guest, Nadine Grace, and her inspirational story that she's going to share with you about how she struggled fitting in moving to a new country, how she struggled with eating disorders, leaving a job that was no longer fulfilling her, and finding her purpose. And now she helps others as well find their purpose, and she's the host of Universal Grace podcast. Hi, Nadine. I'm so happy to have you here on the podcast to share your story today with the listeners. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Nadine, can you take us back to right from the beginning? Well, it's not right from the beginning. I suppose it was age 17 when you moved from Jamaica with your family to the United States, what that was like for you. Because I'm really interested in hearing the whole journey to understand how you found your purpose and inspire others with the beautiful journey and story that you have. Absolutely, absolutely. So when I was five years old, my dad moved to the United States to make a better living for us. I am the fourth of six children, four girls, two boys. So when I was 17 years old, he decided he was at the point now where he was able to, you know, file for all six of us and made enough money for us, for all of us to move to the United States. My mom and dad at the time were not together, so we, all six of us, came to the United States. And when I first came, it was very exciting. I I missed my mom and everything, but I was happy to be in the United States and happy to be with my dad as well. So I enrolled in high school and went into the 11th grade. The 11th grade is the second to last grade before we graduate. That must have been really hard. I mean, to... To go straight in at, you know, grade 11. It was very difficult because the culture in the U.S. and Jamaica is totally different. And in Jamaica, the school that I went to, we wore uniforms. And the public school that I went to in West Virginia at the time where I was living, it's casual clothes. And it was it was so different. And kids smoking and the hallways and it just it was a totally different environment just wasn't accustomed to that type of environment so the good news is i had my sister with me i have three sisters my youngest sister i'm only 2 years younger than her so we both went to the same school and she was in the she was placed in the ninth grade, which she's a freshman, and I went to the 11th grade as a junior. So it was very difficult to try to get acclimated and just try to fit in. And I've never the one to try to fit in, to be honest. I have always been like a rebel. Take me as I am. But I just, I wanted to make friends. And it was very difficult because of my accent. I had a very thick Jamaican accent. It would take me several times to say something before someone would understand what I'm saying. So it was a bit frustrating. But my dad at the time wasn't making enough money to be able to buy us clothes like the other kids were wearing, like 
you know how you go to high school yeah you, the labels yes, and fit exactly yeah. nike and and all those labels back then he couldn't afford to buy that he has six kids to take care of <laughs> and so i remember him taking us to a dollar a dollar tree a dollar store where i think it was it's a dollar store but it's like 5 dollars and below, but it's labeled as a dollar store. Nothing in the store is less a dollar. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I remember yeah. him taking us there, and it really didn't occur to me that it was a store that was people would look down on. I'm thinking, okay, I'm getting some new clothes. I'm happy. I'm going back to school. I'm going to school because we were getting teased that because we were wearing clothes that we were wearing in Jamaica. And I guess it wasn't pretty enough for the kids there. So he took us there. He took us shopping. And I remember like it was yesterday, he bought my sister a sneaker. I think it was Pro Wing. And and I got a Gitano. And I think back then it was considered... Not cool. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. It's so sad, isn't it? How shallow kids are at that age and how easier is to be bullied about just not wearing the right thing or speaking the the right way. I mean, what is the right thing and the right way? It's just really awful. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So coming from a country where people really, I mean, in, in every school, you're going to have mean kids and that are going to try to bully you. But coming from a country where you're a school where you're totally accepted for who you are, for the way you speak, for the way you look, for the clothes you wear, and then move into a new school where kids are looked looking at you like you're some t- some form of an alien. So I just remember going back to school that day after our dad took us shopping and I'm happy I'm wearing my new clothes. <laughs> and it was it was so bad. There were kids just in the classroom just laughing at us because we're wearing clothes that are not considered cool. <laughs> and I just remember how brutal it was. And I said to myself, oh no, I've got to find a job. I was 17 at the time. And I said, you know, I don't want to go to school like this every day. I'm getting bullied and looked down upon. And my sister is getting bullied. I remember us getting into a fight. That was my first fight ever. I was on my way to school, to class, and I heard this loud commotion and I looked over and they were like a really big, strong girl on top of my sister. And my sister is very, you know, thin. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And I just remember and just going over there and I'm like, this is a nightmare. And I just remembered me trying to protect my sister. And then it was, it was just so bad. And I remember like, this is, I remember saying to myself, I need a job so I can, kids can just, just leave us alone and we can just, you know, I guess, blend in with the rest of the kids. And I remember finding a job, I think it was like a month or two after arriving, coming to the U.S. And it was at a place called Hardee's. It's like a Burger King and a McDonald's. Well, that was my first job. And I was so excited. I was flipping burgers and I was just uh, just elated. And I remember... The very first day I sat down for lunch and I've never had a burger before, never even seen it. And I just sat down and I remember just taking my first bite into my burger and it felt like heaven. <laughs> yeah, all those artificial flavors. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. It felt like heaven and I was just like eating it. Oh my gosh, this is so yummy with fries. And I think I was drinking Pepsi or Coke. It was something, some soft drink I was drinking. And I never had those type of things in Jamaica. 
And it was it was a a, a a new experience that was so exhilarating. And I'm sitting there and I remember just eating the entire thing, feeling amazing, just eating it. But then after I was done, I was like, uh-oh, why do I feel like this? I feel bloated. And I was already dealing with self-esteem issues um, because growing up in Jamaica, I never really looked like my sister's. My sister's facial features are different from mine. I have big eyes and, you know, just their facial features. They have like small eyes and high cheekbones and smaller body frame. I've always have like a, you know, big legs, big butt. (laughs) So I've always been told that. And I cannot lie. What's that song? Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So I've never really felt like I fit into my family because I've always been told that I don't look like my siblings ever since I was a small child growing up. So I've always felt not like an outsider, but like I just don't fit in. Oh, how hard. So you don't fit in 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 the family or in Jamaica, and then you go to a country where it seemed like you'd have the American dream, and then there it's impossible to fit in as well. You know, and that is trauma. And I don't think we realize what trauma is and how it's how it sticks with us, those those fears and those those feelings that result in you taking certain steps in your life. You don't see that it sort of is a result of these moments, these really difficult moments. Absolutely. I just I remember I was told so many times by friends and family members and just adults telling a small child that, you know, oh, you don't look like your sisters. Oh, you don't look like this. You don't look like that. And I just remember as a gro- as small child growing up in Jamaica, I would just always be looking in magazines at the skinny girls. And I'm like, oh, I just wish my calves were smaller and my legs were smaller. Why do I have to have big legs and big calves and big butt? I just remember having those thoughts going through my head. So I was, I really didn't have a good relationship with myself. I was dealing with self-esteem issues and body image issues. So after I was done eating my burger, like all those thoughts came flooding back. Like, oh my gosh, what, what did you just do? You just gained 10 pounds. You're fat. So I don't know. I, I just remember rushing to the bathroom, just looking at myself like, oh my God, I have to go to school tomorrow. Am I going to, I just ate so much and I gained so much weight and it's going to show. And just all those negative self-talk kept coming back. And I'm not sure where that thought came from, for me to stick my fingers down my throat and bring it back up. But that's what I did. Like, where did that thought came from? But it came. And I just remember after doing that, I felt so relieved. I'm like, wow, this is pretty cool. In my 17-year-old mind, I can actually eat something. And if I don't enjoy it, I can bring it back up. Cool. I'm not thinking the dangers of what I just did and how life-threatening it is. And this became my new normal. What you said is so important the fact that you didn't realize, you know, if you'd heard about it, if you did realize and knew what you were doing, then, you know, yes, you might still do it. But the higher possibility is that you might be scared to do it if you knew that it was really, really harmful. But in your mind, when you don't know about, you know, the harm it can do, you're thinking it's a really good thing and you're encouraged to go ahead and do it. Your body wanted to reject that fattiness and that feeling from the burger. And so I'm sure it felt really natural. So it just shows how important it is to have 
you know, more awareness out there about eating disorders and about what it does to the body. So I love that, you know, you're explaining it from your perspective of how you really didn't see that. You saw it as a good thing. Yes. And in my 17-year-old mind, I'm not thinking that I didn't even know there was a name for it. I had no idea that there was a name for it. I didn't know what I was doing was harmful. I'm just thinking, okay, I don't feel... I feel fat right now, so let me get it out so I can go back to my natural way of feeling. And this continued for a while and into my 20s. And I just remember moving to New York and looking healthy and, you know, vibrant, but no one knew what was going on, only I did. And I just remember at like 24 years old, I think I was 24 years old, I started getting like heart palpitations and really low blood pressure and just like really clammy, cold hands. And every time I stand up, I would just feel so dizzy. And I knew within myself that this was, because at this time I'm older now, I'm seven years older. So I'm starting to understand that what I'm doing is not helpful and it's not, and it's, it's not healthy and it's dangerous. So I said to myself, I can't continue living like this. I've got to stop. And I think I was 20, between 24, 27. And I remember, you know, just really like taking my health seriously now. So I started Googling the words, the meaning behind what I was doing, a bulimia, bulimic. And I started like, oh my God, so I do have a disorder and this is serious. This is, and I started just really taking my health more seriously and really taking a good look at myself. Like I've got to stop this. And I just remember me stopping for two weeks because I said, I, I do not want to die. I want to live. And it was so difficult those two weeks. It was the most difficult time. It was so difficult because, you know, you have that negative story that you've been telling yourself for so long. I've been telling myself for so long. So whenever time you stop something, <clears throat> excuse me, and you're trying to do something else different then the mind comes back and trying to convince you why you shouldn't stop because that's not what it's used to. So, because eating disorder resembles an addiction, you know? So I just remember those two weeks being really difficult and I started gaining weight and I went right back to doing what I was doing. And yeah, so I just remember, it was actually 24. I remember at, at 27, continued for another three years And I remember at 27 years old, I, you know, I ate my dinner, went to the bathroom, looked at myself in the mirror. And I just remember at that time, I was just really disgusted with myself because I knew what I was doing was wrong, but I, it was absolutely the most difficult thing to stop. Yeah, because your, your conscious mind knows that it's dangerous, but your subconscious mind is saying that it's not safe for you to eat without, you know, bringing it back up. Because then if you get fatter, it's going to lead to being bullied and not fitting in and your life will be disastrous. That's what your subconscious is doing. It's trying to keep you safe because it thinks the opposite. So it's impossible to fight that by yourself without having the therapy and the coaching and the help to change things mentally, isn't it? But we don't understand that. We think it's just purely a physical thing. Right, I just stopped doing what I'm doing. But you can't do that. Yes, it it was so difficult. And what led to me actually stopping was waking up on my bathroom floor. I was passed out. 
And I must have been passed out for a while because when I binged and purged, it was still bright outside. And then when I woke up, it was literally like pitch black. So I was completely passed out. And I just remember just sitting there for a while, just really thinking to myself, is this the way you're going to continue living? I need a deep intervention. I What demons am I dealing with so bad that is taking control of me where I'm not able to control my behavior and control my mind? After all, it is my mind, so I should be able to control it. And I just remember just sitting there feeling, okay, so what is the next step? And I just remember having this conversation with myself. I do not want anyone to know, and I don't want to take it outside of me knowing So I just remember saying, I will not go to the hospital. I will not get any outside help, which was rather stupid of me to say that. Naive. Yeah. But it's it's like this dark secret, isn't it? That which is what makes it harder. Yes. There's so much shame around eating disorder. And there's so many girls who are dealing with it and women who who are just so shameful about it and they just refuse to bring it out into the air and really have a discussion about it. So I just remember just really started to sit down and I I just remember sitting down quietly looking at my life from when I was growing up in Jamaica and trying to put, put it together. Why was I doing this? Why did I feel this way about myself? Where is the shame coming from? And I was able to put together the pieces of, okay, so this is what happened when I was growing up. I was told over and over again that I look different. I have a a bigger body structure. I have big calves and bigger butt and big thighs. And, you know, I internalize it as being unattractive and feeling unworthy and undeserving. So I started really just working on myself from the inside, really started doing shadow work and and shadow work is basically just looking at your feelings for what it is, accepting what it is and just feel it and release it. But how did you know to do that, Nadine? Because you still hadn't gone on your journey of self-discovery and healing and understanding all these things. You still hadn't discovered the secret. I um, still haven't. I I still didn't. Yes. I just started doing a lot of research. I started doing a lot of research because I didn't want to live like this anymore. I really, I didn't want to wake up another day. I was, you know how they say when you get to the, when you hit rock bottom and you can't get in the lower anymore, the only higher, the only place you can go is higher. Yeah, that's the positive side to rock bottom, isn't it? Yes. At least least there's something. (laughs) Yeah. Exactly. But you know, I've got a question for you. All that struggle, all that time that you were going through this, you must have been thinner or fitted in better or made more money to wear the right clothes. Did that make a difference? Were you any happier? Absolutely Was it no. worth it? <laughs> yeah. And it's so no. funny that that I think with all addictions or anything where we're hurting ourselves, we kind of lose track of why we were doing it in the first place and remind ourselves that we're not any happier. So why do it? You know, it's not actually giving us the result we thought it would give us for you to be thinner or look more like your sisters or wear the right clothes. But you continue being, you know, sort of scared not to do it. And it's that wake up moment where you realize, you know, just let it go. And it kind of sounds to me like the story of Byron Katie, if you know about Byron Katie at all. 
Yes, I actually know know about her. Yes. Yeah, because she she also had that moment where she's just really like letting herself suffer and she's not left her home for years. She's even sleeping on the floor instead of a bed because she doesn't feel worthy enough. And it was that moment of rock bottom where she asked herself kind of like, wait a minute, this is my mind that's telling me this, you know? And it sounds the same with you. It was kind of like, okay, this my mind is telling me I'm not worthy. Oh yes, my God. I really, I started really looking at myself and I said, you know, why am I doing this to myself? You know, because it's self-hatred. Why do I hate myself to actually want to hurt myself so much? And when I really sat down and quiet my mind and really turned to God or the universe or higher self or source or whatever name that we're comfortable with using, and I really sat down and I started meditating and I started really having a conversation with my higher self. And I said, why am I doing this to myself? Why do I feel the way I feel? And I felt this immense love just came over me. And yes, and this immense warmth. And I heard a voice that says, because you feel that you're not worthy and deserving. Oh, Nadine, it's just, it's just so like obvious, isn't it? That when you're so disconnected to yourself, that love can't be felt. And all it took was for you to be silent to hear it and you could feel that self-love again. Yes. I just remember sitting, (laughs) yes, I just remember sitting down just crying, just really crying. And I wasn't only crying for myself. I was crying for all the people out there that are dealing with this type of addiction, whether it's it's an eating distorted um, addiction, whether it's, you know, whatever um, addiction it is. It's the source of hating the self, isn't it? Yes. You know, you find whatever way it is that numbs you hating yourself. There you go. Exactly. Absolutely. And I started working on myself. I started just really, I, I fell in love with just sitting down and quieting my mind because I noticed that when I would quiet my mind, I would feel this immense love and, and presence. Like I was just so present. And I started just really appreciating everything about my body. I started talking to my body because I was now understanding that my body was could hear me and it would respond based on my internal chatter. And I started just saying nice things about my legs that I've always hated and my calves and my butt. And I just, just worked on every single area of my body just let my body know that I'm so sorry I treated you the way I treated you, but I love you so much. Now I know better. I will not go down that path anymore. I'm going to love and take care of you for the rest of my life. Yeah, it's it's how you think about things, isn't it? I mean, you could say, I hate my calves. They don't look good in heels, your horrible calves. Instead of saying, I love you, my calves. You're, you're the reason I can walk and run and swim and stand up for hours and and kick if I need to and protect myself. You know, thank you. We just don't, we don't think that way, do we, until we lose something. And then we're like, oh my God, yes. you know. What? I never realized how much I hated myself. I would just stand in front of the mirror, look at myself rather than appreciating that I'm still alive, despite what I went through when I'm healthy, despite what I put myself through. And I never really appreciated anything about me. I was always something negative. Oh, look, you just ate too much. Look at you now. And after I really went into that deep healing of healing myself, I started appreciating myself. I now stand in the mirror and I look for the good in myself. 
I look for, you know, my, I look at my eyes. Wow. You know, your eyes are nice and big and beautiful and you can see your amazing sun and, you know, and, and the beautiful nature. And I, I started appreciating rather than, you know, tear myself down. And it helped so much. Like it was a point in my life where I wanted to really just help everyone get over the hatred that they're having for themselves because it's the stories that we're telling ourselves. You know, it's the stories that we're telling ourselves that is either making us or breaking us. You know, we're only telling ourselves those stories because we've been told that. And so they become our stories. And if only we were taught to have awareness of how damaging that is, we would talk differently to each other. And it's crazy how simple it is. I mean, in the Middle East, where I was brought up, it's part of the religion to always say, you know, thank God, thank God for everything, you know, anything. If you're about to eat, it's thank God. If it's, uh, you know, you've woken up in the morning, it's thank God. However, the way people talk to each other is completely opposite of being thankful for whatever you have and the gratitude. And it's so damaging the way they'll talk to kids or like you in front of your sister, like, oh, she doesn't look like the rest of the family of, oh, what a big thighs or, oh my God, she's so tall. She's this, this and that. Or, oh, what a little shorty looks so, you know, like he's starved to death. They have no awareness. No of awareness how much at all. This is affecting. Yes. And it yeah. takes a family. It, it's usually coming from the families because I remember having dogs in our yard. We had a big backyard in Jamaica, a big yard, and we had a couple dogs. And there was this one dog that everyone would make fun of when he they come to the house because he was really, it was a she. She was really short and and stubby. And she had like really big, bright eyes. And I just remember one day my aunt came to the house. I was probably around seven, six or seven, around my son's age. My son is six. And I just remember her coming to the house and she was like, I remember the way it was yesterday it was a, a yard full of friends and families visiting. And out of nowhere, she said, oh, Nadine, that dog looked just like you. <laughs> and it totally, no one. No one defended you, I bet. No one defended me, and I don't think they realized how much it hurt me. And I had to let that go because while I was healing, that came up as well. And I was like, "Oh my gosh, I'm this is in this is this has been lodged into my subconscious mind all this time, creating that shame and that self hatred part of it. That self hatred that really made me turn on myself because that's what I did. I turned on myself." And I don't, I don't think adults realize the damage, how damaging it is when they say or do certain things in front of kids because we're kids. Kids are kids and they're soaking up everything. And it's, and I, I think, think everything is true as well. So, you know, it registers as the truth. Like, oh, if she said that, there must be something wrong with me. Or if they say I'm different, then maybe I am. Just like you got confused in America, you know, that oh, maybe there is something wrong with how I dress or what I do. Rather than realizing there's something wrong with their attitude, you start thinking it's you because everyone seems to agree on the same thing but you. So if all the family are saying something and laughing or joining in or not defending you and saying, no, that's wrong, you know, you're going to believe it. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's why I kind of grew up being a rebel where I, if someone says something, I do the opposite because I was 
trying to prove something. And and I think that's the, one of the reasons why, why I'm so feisty right now, because I will not allow anyone to come and tear down what I've already built up. And I have so much empathy for people who do not have a voice and for people who are also suffering, but they're afraid of what others will think about them for not coming forth with what whatever demons that they're dealing with. And I really have this huge compassion for the entire world because hurt people hurt people. The person who needs help, they're hurting as well because hurt people hurt people. So I have a huge compassion for just about the entire world because a lot of people are doing things not realizing that they should be focusing on their life because when you see something negative in someone, it also resides in you. And it's it just tells you that, you know, you need work as well. We need, we all need, the whole world needs a big old healing. And I'm very strict when it comes on to my personal space and my boundaries and who I let into my energy space because, you know, people rather turn on each other than turn within. Look at the man in the mirror and work on themselves. So it's, you know, it's it's so much easier to blame. You don't have to feel the pain or the hurt. And you also see that in nations and countries, you know, that hurt each other. They're a race that have been maybe hurt and tortured. And instead of learning from it and, and then living with kindness, they will become even more vicious with another race. And it all becomes about the other and protecting myself and because they're always in victim mode. They're not seeing that they've become a perpetrator. So I think it's a real gift to come out of that and to allow yourself to be vulnerable and feel again and have empathy. I like to look at it as each one teach one. You know, when I... That's a nice one. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, I'm, I'm very passionate about helping others realize that they're one the biggest trick ever been played on humanity is for us to think that we're separate, is an illusion that we're separate. <laughs> and we're not. We're all one. We're one energy having different experiences. We're just having different experiences, which gives the illusion that we're separate. I have a huge compassion on on people who really haven't done the work and is walking around feeling like the whole world is against them and owe them something. And people who are just, you know, not really having come into contact with their inner being, with the God inside of them, and feeling that really pure love of just being. And yes, and... I mean, we have to go back to being children, because children, very young children do not see differences in each other. They all are happy to just, you know, communicate, be together, play. It's only when adults and teaching and schools start putting things in their mind and saying, okay, you're this religion, that one's that religion. You're this color, that one's that color. We're like this, they're like that. It comes from the generation above and the media that starts poisoning the mind, but the heart actually sees that we're one. And we have to unlearn all of that. So Nadine, tell us, how did you transform your life? Like, when did you realize that, okay, this is, this is you know, the path that I want to be on now. This is my purpose. I'm going to, uh, we didn't talk about you being an accountant. It's hard to imagine you being an accountant, but ditching 
all of that and saying, okay, and becoming a Reiki master and becoming a master life coach, you know, how did you turn that around? So I was an accountant. I have a bachelor's in accounting and a master's in business. And growing up, I've always loved numbers. I've always, to this day, I I just love to sit down and figure things out. And I just remember when I was in accounting school, I absolutely loved it. And I couldn't wait to graduate so I could start working in the corporate world as an accountant. And it got to the point where I didn't like it anymore. And I was really just so miserable. I was asking myself, this cannot be it. This <laughs> Getting up, going to work every day, then coming home. I don't feel fulfilled. What's next? First, I was an, an internal auditor. I was traveling the world and I was meeting people from all walks of life. And I enjoyed that. And after I... um accepted a new role and I was just sitting on my desk, no windows and in a cubicle. And I'm like, oh my God, save me. I can't do this anymore. And it so happened that I ended up leaving. And I it was, I think it was like the same week or the next week, I went in to get a colonic and my the specialist and I struck up a conversation. And I just remember her asking me, the conversation led to her asking me why asking me, have you ever seen The Secret? And I looked at her and I'm like, no, I have no idea what it is. And she had a copy in her car. She went down, got it, gave it to me. And I just remember, remember going home, watching it. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, this cannot be real. <laughs> At this time, I'm I'm in my late 30s, mid to late 30s. And I'm sitting down, I'm like, this cannot be real. Are you trying to tell me that I am all this time, I've been co-creating with, with the universe to create my life? Are you trying to tell me that my thoughts are creating my reality? Oh, no. I'm literally having this discussion with myself. Are you trying to tell me that my coworkers were not responsible for pissing me off and my and the government is not responsible for everything? <laughs> yeah. It's hard, it's hard to take it in, isn't it, at the beginning? Because there are people doing things that are not right, but... That isn't completely the reason that you continue to be unhappy or doing what you're doing. That is, you know, there is a responsibility on us as well. And it's very hard to believe that or see that. It's very hard to believe that, to take full ownership of your life, 100% responsibility. It really is because you, your mind will always try to trick you into believing that something is being done to you. There are people that are that are doing the wrong things, but when we learn how the mind works, we can always, you know, create our own reality with the thoughts that we're sending in despite what's happening to us. When I realized that and I went into like I became obsessed. I was like, oh my gosh, I've got to find out, I've got to get to the bottom of this. Who am I? Who am I? I started unlearning everything I knew about myself and the world and started looking at myself and other people. Like when I was like, when I see someone, I see myself in them. I, I see the good in them. And I started just really, just really learning everything to build myself up. And I just remember just meeting my husband and he was on the same path as I was as well, because he went through a spiritual, yes, he went through a spiritual awakening when he was 17 years old. So he has always been looked upon as his family as the weirdo. <laughs> and people just don't get him or, underst- or, or understand him. And I just remember him and I would just sit down and he would 
I just remember us taking a vacation one day. We went to Jamaica and we were laying down on a bench and he said, you see that star up there? It's meant to be. You see how bright it is? And it's just, and, and I said to myself, wow, if only people could just realize that life can be beautiful. It just all depends on how you see it. There is good in life and there's bad, but if we focus on the bad, then we, we magnetize it and we bring more of that into our physical experience. And yes, yes, yes. And I, I remember us, it was time for us to start a family. <laughs> and we were having difficulties procreating and conceiving. And after a year, we went to our doctors and he took one look at me, did some tests. And he said, pregnancy is not, it's, it will never happen. Yes, yes. It was devastating because my husband at the time, you know, he really wanted a child and I'm looking at myself as damaged, like, oh my gosh, I can't give him the child that we want. And he just looked at me and he said, you have an, ab- an abnormal shaped uterus. I, I re- didn't even realize that I haven't been ovulating for like 15 years. And he said, You're, you only have one egg and that one egg is really not a good egg. I think he, he said it was, he gave it like a grade, a grade C or something. I really don't remember. It was, it was a bad grade. <laughs> God, you felt like you were back at school exactly. again, or back in the family <laughs> comparing you. Exactly. And I just remember him saying, the only option you have right now is adoption. So just go home and, and you know, I'll send you some information on it and, you know, just start thinking in that direction. So I went, I remember went going to bed that night and I went to bed with a plan. I was a woman with a plan. And I said, okay, starting tonight, I'm going to start visualizing because I was already learning about law of attraction and visualizing, visualizing your life into, yes. And I was learning that the subconscious mind doesn't really know the difference between what's imagined or what's real. So I was really excited about you know, creating the reality and the life that I wanted to be in. So I just remember just going to bed and said, okay, so I'm going to visualize because I was learning that everything is already, every reality that we want to experience is already existing in another dimension of ourselves. It's just a matter of becoming, just getting, getting into alignment with what we really want. And by alignment, I mean, just really pretending, right? Make believing as if it already happened and feel the feeling as if you're already experiencing it. And that was a little hard for me to cultivate because, you know, when you try to do something new, your mind, subconscious mind comes in and tell you that, listen, or your conscious mind comes in and tell you that, listen, this is not what it is. You are never going to, you know, you're never going to get pregnant. You're never going to live in the world that you want to live in. But because I already knew so much, I ignored it because we can never fight our mind because we'll never win. So I kind of put it to the side and I say, okay, this is what I'm going to focus on. I'm going to focus on who I am. I'm a spiritual being having a human experience. So I redirected my thoughts to what if, what if I do get pregnant? What if I do have the family that I desire? So Every night I go to bed or every day I would visualize myself wearing my green t-shirt that I (laughs) had a green t-shirt that I would always wear. And I would visualize myself sitting in my bathroom, taking a pregnancy test and seeing the word pregnant on it. I just remember after doing it for like three months, I uh, missed my period, which I really didn't even notice that I missed my period. I would missed it like for nine days. Because you know how they say when you're visualizing, you're trying to manifest. You don't, you you do it and then you forget it. You know where I struggle with it sometimes, Nadine, is thinking, okay, it's something that I desire, but how do I know 
that maybe it's for the best of me that it's not happening and I should just accept that. So like I don't know in the future that maybe let's say having a child or having the job that I so desire or having more money is not going to be the thing that hurts me or the thing that keeps me from experiencing something else that was meant for me. So allowing the universe to give me what it wants to give me when it wants to give me is is the biggest, you know, there's a bigger plan that I don't understand. So sometimes I worry about kind of pushing and manifesting and desiring what I think would be right for me. That's a very good question. And I struggled with that as well. But what I started doing during that time and even now, I always say, let this or something better happen. And I then let go and I trust that the universe has my back. I trust that everything is always working out for me despite what it looks like. And it's it's a very diff it's very difficult to get to that place where you totally surrender and let go and say, you know what? If it doesn't happen, then it wasn't meant to happen. And I'm at that place in my life now where I just I ask for something and if I don't see it come into fruition or if it's, I don't even look at it, is it taking too long? I just know and I let go. It's, 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 it's developing that, that relationship with yourself, with God, with the universe, with whatever you call it and realizing that life is on your side. Life is on our side. And if we just really understand that we're creating our reality with with our thoughts, feelings, and actions by sending out vibrations and energy out into the universe, then we will just relax and just let it be. And I, my mission right now is to, you know, transform as many lives as I can. People who are, you know, really people who know that they have a, a higher purpose and people who know that they are here for something greater than themselves, but they don't quite know what it is. So there, you know, some, I'm, I have that mission to really, I have tools put into place and, and to help my students remember the badass creators they are, walk into the fullest version of themselves, you know, just really stop externalizing their powers and come back to a place of love and live their life and purpose. Oh, Nadine, thank you so much. Thank you for for being so honest about the ups and downs of it all, you know, to make it sound like it's a smooth, easy journey with no dips. I think just makes people feel like they're failing and and give up trying. So your honesty hopefully will inspire a lot of people to know to just keep going, to have faith, you know, that if they're consistent, things will change and they have the power to do that. You've been very transparent and vulnerable and honest today. And I really appreciate and thank you very much for that. And thank you so much for having me to share my story. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of Breaking Free, please share it with your friends or on your social media platforms. And of course, I'd really love it if you can subscribe, rate or review the show. You can reach me directly at raniacurdy.com if you would like to ask a question, comment on what you heard today or find out how I can support you on your journey.